You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open the Word of God. We'll read from Romans chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through His Spirit, who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's now open God's Word to the text that we hope to focus on this afternoon. That's 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, some time ago I was talking to one of my neighbors about God and 
what he thought about God. And he gave me his opinion. An opinion that you may have heard from others as well. It's an idea that's very common nowadays. And that is, God is love. End of story. God is love. That's what the Bible says. So just believe in God, and you're all set. doesn't matter which religion you belong to. Just believe in God. That's good. Because God is love. He loves you. You don't need to bother with Jesus. You don't need to bother with going to church every Sunday. You don't need to bother putting stuff in the collection bag. And why bother with all those church committees? All those things are just a nuisance. They just get in the way. Just think God is love. Leave it at that and everything's okay. Because God will love you anyway. God will love you no matter what you do. Now there's some truth to this, of course. Because the Bible does say God is love. In fact, it's in the chapter right after ours, 1 John 4, verse 8. It says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. But there's a whole lot more to it than just that. Because the Bible is a lot more than just one verse. It's a whole book. And we have to keep in mind the whole book, even if we just look at the, this letter of 1 John. We see there's a whole lot more to God than just thinking, God is love and everything else doesn't matter. If we just say God is love and, and that's all there is to it, then really we're making our own God without listening to what the Bible tells us. So this afternoon I want to, to look at who God is and who we are and think about God being love. Because John does talk about that. He talks about how great the love of the Father is. Verse 1 of our text. And in this text we'll see how amazing the love of God really is. And we'll see that we can only understand that if we know who God is and who we are. We can summarize the message of this text with this theme. By God's amazing love, he gives us the privilege of being his children. We'll look at verse 1, our present identity as God's children. Verse 2, our future hope as God's children. And verse 3, our holy lifestyle as God's children. John is really excited about being a child of God. You get that sense right away when you read this, this verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He's very excited about this because this is truly amazing. Why is it amazing? Because John knows who God is and John knows who we are. John knows that God is holy. He's infinite. He is perfect. He is eternal. And we are sinners. We are sinful. We offend God. And on our own, we would not nothing to do with Him. 
We are miles apart from God, but God brings us close together again. He even brings us into His own family. He calls us His children. He adopts us. I just think about that idea of adopting for a moment. Sometimes people will adopt a child from a faraway country where there's a lot of poverty or where there's been a big disaster. And when, when a child comes from that that country and comes to Canada, for example, in many ways that's a great life improvement because there they'll have a lot of care and love that they wouldn't have received in their own home. But even that doesn't compare to the great miracle of what it is to be adopted by God. Because we are far worse off than just being poor and having nothing. We are destined for eternal condemnation in hell because we have grieved God by our sin. But God takes us out of that condition and He lifts us up to heaven and He makes us His children, brings us into His family so that we can be with Him forever. Now that is amazing. No wonder John gets excited about this. And how did God do this? How did God take us out of our sinfulness and bring us to Him? Now we can turn to that verse about God being loved. 1 John 4 verse 8. He did it out of His love. That, that verse about God is love that has to be read in the context of 1 John 4 verse 10 where John explains what God's love is. He says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God showed His love by sending His Son to die in our place so that we who are sinful can be with Him, can be part of His family. If you believe in Him, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you are part of God's family. You are His son or His daughter. You're His child. He is your Father. And He is a good Father. Now for some of us, when we think of family, that brings up all kinds of mixed emotions. Because family is good, but at the same time, family is not perfect. Some of us have suffered a lot of hurt from our families. We wonder, is God's family any different? Is the church any different? Do we get hurt in the church? Will we get hurt by God? What kind of father is he? God is a perfect father. Far better than any parents on earth. He says in Isaiah 49, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God does not forget his children. God loves his children and he keeps them close, closer than any human parents 
would. God is our Father. He is a good one to go to. He's the best person we can go to. He is a perfectly safe person to go to. We can trust in Him. We can pray to Him and go to Him for direction and guidance. Also in our times of trouble. We read from Romans 8. There the Apostle Paul also talks about being adopted into God's family and being children of God. He says in verse 15, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. When we are children of God, we are no longer slaves to fear. No longer slaves to the things we fear on earth. No longer slaves to the fear of judgment for sin. We are free from that fear of judgment. And we can know that we are safe with God forever. So what does it look like to be a child of God? Well, John writes about that in our text. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He's writing there about what it means to be a child of God. You see, quite often if you ask someone on the street, what's Christianity all about? The answer you'll often get is something like this. Christianity is about going to church every Sunday and doing good stuff. And it's about not having any fun. And we don't want anything to do with that because we want to have fun. It's very easy to give this impression to people as well. If we just let people learn about Christianity by our lifestyle, this is what they'll often think. They see us pulling out of our driveway on Sunday morning and afternoon and seeing us going to church. They think, oh, Christians go to church every Sunday. They see us living moral lives and they think Christianity is about living moral lives. They see us not joining in at all their entertainment and they think Christianity is about not having fun. That's what people will start thinking if they only see our lives without hearing our testimony from our mouths about what Christianity really is about. Because all these things that I mentioned are part of Christian life. But they're not the main thing that it's all about. It's not about doing this and about doing that in the first place. But it's about God. It's about praising our glorious God in heaven and being in awe of Him and about being in awe of the fact that He actually made us His children. It's about sinners coming into the presence of a holy God and holy God welcoming them graciously through Jesus Christ. John does not say the reason the world does not know God is that it did not know us. As if getting people to, to know about God is just getting them to, just getting them to see how we live and, and getting them to copy that. 
But John says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. First, people have to know about God before they'll understand why we do the things we do. Otherwise, they will not understand what it means to be a Christian. So let's remember that. Remember to keep on telling people about who God is. Not just about what Christian life looks like, but what who God is and what God has done for you, and therefore why you live the way you do. Keep on telling people about God, and by His grace, they also will become His children. Let's go to verse 2. Because it's good to be God's children now, but it's only going to get better. John says in verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But we will be has not yet been made known, John says. Well, there's certainly a lot that the Bible does tell us about what we will be in our future life. And John does get to that in a moment as well. But he first says it's not, has not all been made known yet. There's a lot that we don't know about our glorious future. We might have many questions. We might wonder what language will we speak in heaven? How will we recognize Abraham, Daniel, Moses? What will it really be like to live forever? What will we do? What will we keep busy with? We have many questions. And Scripture does provide answers to some of these questions, but not to all of them. So let's remember and patiently wait for these questions to be answered in God's time. When Christ returns, He will satisfy our curiosity. He will answer these questions to the fullest. And there will be good answers. God made us His children. You can be sure that He's preparing a good place for you right now. He's done the most amazing miracle already. You can be sure that He'll keep on taking good care of you. And that that place in heaven for you is going to be great. (coughs) There's some things we don't know. But there's also a lot we do know about our future. There's so much we can look forward to. John says Christ will appear. Christ will come down from heaven. You'll hear the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet, all the dead will be raised. We will all meet the Lord in the air. And God will, will judge all people, the living and the resurrected dead. And the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven, come down to earth, and we will make our home with God in the new Jerusalem. Then John says, then we will see Christ as he is. We will see Christ in all his glory. We will see him as the king of kings. We will see him as the Son of God. We will see him as God himself. We won't only just see him. We will also be like him, John says. 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that amazing? That we will be like God? We sinners are going to be like holy God? We who suffer so much pain and hurt are going to be perfect like God? We who go through so much illness and disease here are going to be healed and and without flaws, just like God? Isn't that amazing? We will be perfect. We will be like God. Now that does not mean we will be like, that we will be God or that we will become gods. Not at all. We will be like Him. That means we will show His glory in us. He will restore His image in us. That image that He put in Adam and Eve at the beginning. And that's still in us, but still covered in sin now. He's going to restore that in us. Make His glory shine in us again. So that all creation around us will look at us and say, Wow, God made those people. God's glory really shines through those people. Those people are like God. Like nothing else in all creation is. So we will be perfectly renewed in God's image. But living in the image of God does not begin in that far off future when Christ comes back. It begins now already. Because now also we have God's image in us as hard as it might be to see at times because of our sin. God's image is still there in us and God calls us to show His glory to live as His children. That's what we'll see in verse 3. John says in verse 3, Everyone who has this hope, this future hope of being like God in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ will come back? Do you believe that he will come down from heaven and make you glorious like he himself is? Do you believe it when God says that? When God makes those promises to you? Do you believe that you will live forever in a perfect new Jerusalem and that you will be without sin? That's the reality. That's what's going to happen. And if you believe that, that better make an impact today on how you live your life. Being like Christ and living like Christ does not begin in the far-off future, but it begins now in this life. Let me give a little illustration of this. Just imagine that you've always wanted to go to one particular country for, for a vacation. Let's say you wanted to go to Thailand. But you've never been able to go because it just costs so much to get there. But then one day you get a phone call from an uncle who's feeling generous and says, look, I know you've always wanted to go to Thailand, so now I'm going to give you some money and you can go. Do whatever you want. I'll pay the bills. I've got it covered. You go there. Do what you've always wanted to do. Enjoy it. 
I'll get you there. Don't worry about it. Now you've got that, that vacation to Thailand booked, and you're really looking forward to it, so you start researching all kinds of things about what you want to do there. You look into some of the local customs, you try some of the local food at restaurants here in BC. You start learning some of the local language, maybe. You become so absorbed in this whole idea of this vacation that your friends start to think like you're living there already because that's all you talk about. Bringing it back to the gospel, Jesus Christ cleared the way for us to get to heaven. We don't have to worry about that. He's got that covered. But if we really look forward to being there, that's going to have a big impact on our life now. We should start preparing for that. Not in the sense of working our way there, because Christ has that covered. But it's in the sense that we will want to live as if we're there already. Let's live in preparation for that forever of perfection. Live like Christ now. John says specifically in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Purifies himself. What does that mean? Well, if you turn back to chapter 1 of 1 John, John explains that. Verse 7, the end of verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And in verse 9, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Christ purifies us from sin and unrighteousness. He takes away our sin. He forgives our sin. He did that when he died on the cross. He died for our sin so that our sin no longer stands in the way of of us coming to God. But at the same time, we, we still struggle with sin every day. Sin is still a reality in our lives here on earth. So Christ purified us by, by removing the sin as, as, a, as an obstacle for us getting to God. But he also calls us to purify ourselves by the power of God's Spirit, by cutting the sin out of our lives and fighting against sin in our life. Purifying ourselves is cutting the sin out of our lives. It's like what Paul says in Romans 8. You are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Purifying ourselves, living like Christ, is being led by the Spirit and not letting the sinful nature control us. Now, this is not optional. John does not say everyone who has this hope in him should try to purify himself or should do his best to purify himself. He says he purifies himself. He does it. It has to be done. If you are a child of God, you do purify yourself. And your life must be shaped by the Holy Spirit. Simply impossible that if you're a child of God and you look forward to that glorious future in the New Jerusalem, 
but at the same time you don't purify yourself and you don't try to cut the sin out of your life. If you're not doing that, you're not looking for the sin in your life and aiming to cut that out, you've got to ask yourself the question, is God really working in you? Are you really looking forward to that new Jerusalem? Are you really living like a child of God? Let us each look for the sins in our own hearts and tackle those sins. Fight against them. Ask God for help in fighting against those sins. Perhaps we have to fight against pride in our hearts. We know we have problems, but we figure our problems aren't as bad as that other person's problems. We become pride, proud, pride, proud when we think others are so irritating and so annoying and grinding us all the time and have nothing good to offer. Their opinions are so ridiculous. We think everyone should be like us, think like us, do the things we do in the way we do them. And we become closed-minded, not open to the way others do things. Perhaps the sin that we find in our heart is selfishness. Perhaps we have all kinds of gifts we receive from God that we could contribute to the communion of saints, but we don't do that. We just keep it all to ourselves. We might have the gift of music, or the gift of encouraging, the gift of bringing a smile to people's faces, gift of being hospitable. So many gifts. If we don't use them, we're being selfish. Look for the sin in your heart. Are you aiming to cut that sin out of your life? Or are you okay with that sin being there, festering and growing and controlling your heart? If you're not aiming to cut the sin out of your life, that may be a sign that you are not a child of God. John says it really strongly in verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. If you live in God, if you are God's child, you don't make a habit of sinning. Sure, you keep on sinning. We're still sinful. But you don't make a habit of it. You try to fight against it. You ask God for help because you realize you can't do this on your own. This isn't meant to discourage all of us. We read these words, we might think, well, we have to be an angel to get into heaven. The reality is, we do still sin. I hope this sin is always a struggle for us. A struggle so that we keep on fighting against it rather than saying, well, there's sin in my life and I guess I can't do much about it. Let it always be a struggle and not an attitude of defeat. Let us not give up. Even if some days it seems like that sin just keeps coming back and back and back. If that struggle is hard, 
Remember that we don't get to heaven on our own strength. We don't get there on our own strength. Jesus Christ cleared the way for us to get there. Just like that uncle cleared the way for you to go to Thailand. God's grace, God's love made you his child. He sent his son and he also sends his Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to purify us. That's God is love. He loved us so much that he made sinners his children. He loved us so much that in our daily struggle with sin, he sent his Holy Spirit to help us in that struggle to make us more and more like him. So let's ask those hard questions and find this in our hearts and tackle it. But also go to God for strength. Go to him in prayer and he will give us help. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.